Praise God. God knows how to direct us and help us in time of need. Thankful for his faithfulness and his goodness as we stand for the reading of the word. If you have your Bibles, turn to Jonah chapter number 3, verse 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, and 9. Jonah chapter 3, verse number 4 is where we will read today. We'll take part of this. This is a very short book, four chapters and so we're going to take our text from the middle of chapter number three. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them, even to the least of them. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, and he laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn every one from his evil way and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent and turn away from his fierce anger that we perish not? Praise God. Before, we, uh, before I give you this morning's title and message, let's just need to pray for uh, Amanda, let's see, how would we, Mike and his girlfriend have been coming, they have a small child, and Mike is the son of Mike Newton, who's the son of Mike Newton, that's a lot of Mikes, and their son is named Mike, four Mikes, there are four Mikes, and just recently Amanda's brother, uh, in a, a very, very tragic way, committed suicide, and so they are wanting prayer. Today is a rough day, and God was, is, let's put it that way, God is moving in Mike and Alex, her name is Alex, and the young one. So we want God's anointing to touch them, amen. You never know how situations like these can impact families and situations, and so let's pray for the word and let's pray for them as well. Lord, we thank you and praise you today for knowing that we have opportunity to approach you. We ask for your touch and your ability, your strength, and we ask for healing. We know that when we speak your name, there is an encouragement and a strength that brings an uplifting to us, an encouragement, an exhortation to our spirit. And I pray that that comfort and strength would rest upon the family. We ask that your word would go to us today and strengthen and be a blessing to everybody. We thank you and we ask all these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. I want to speak to you this morning on this subject, when cows and sheep fast. When cows and sheep fast. This is an occasion in the scripture that something very ironic happens when the king makes a decree and he decrees not only people, but it's going to be a situation in which the animals, the flocks and the herds, let them not eat and let them not drink anything because we are moving into a period of fasting. 
Jonah starts out his book in verse number one, saying, The word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness is come up before me. So he is given a commission to go. Jonah is a Judean prophet. He ministered during the reign of Jeroboam II in the 8th century B.C. This is mentioned in 2 Kings chapter 14 and verse number 25. And this small little book with four chapters describes how God commissions a prophet to preach a message of doom to the wicked inhabitants of Nineveh. Nineveh was an ancient capital city of the Assyrian Empire. And if you do a little history, you know that there were empires that reigned and that had influence and connections with the Israel people, the Hebrew people. Assyria and Babylon at times reigned supreme. Sometimes it was Assyria, sometimes it was Babylon. These were nations that were surrounding Israel. We know that there was a divided kingdom after David's reign and Solomon's reign. At the conclusion of Solomon's life, the kingdoms were divided. There was a northern kingdom and there was a southern kingdom. Ten of the tribes went with the northern kingdom. Two of the tribes went with the southern kingdom. At some point in 720 B.C., the northern kingdoms were carried off in captivity by the Assyrians. Some were left. Assyrians settled into the land. There was a mixture of those peoples that developed these Samaritans. In the New Testament, we find out that they were a very hated crossbreed people that were detested, and yet God still reached out to them because God is a God of mercy. The Assyrians carried the northern tribes into captivity, repopulated the land, and the southern tribes lasted for a number of years until 586 B.C., and then they were taken captive by the Babylonians. So the Assyrians and the Babylonians were each great empires that struggled for a dominant position in the ancient world. Sometimes Babylon was stronger. Sometimes the Assyrian gained the upper hand. And so God commissions a man by the name of Jonah to go and prophesy. Assyria was northeast from Israel. It was north and then inland to the east. And so he was to make the journey. And he was given a commission from the very beginning. Arise and go. This is a commission. And it is tied to the will of God. God's will was for the prophet. He is, in fact, by the way, a prophet that is supposed to be the mouthpiece of God to proclaim and make proclamation whatever God tells him to do. The prophets are covenant enforcement mediators. They are not speaking their own message. They do not have their own opinions. All they are to do as covenant enforcement mediators is to preach and tell the people when they have gone astray, Hey, it's time to get back to where God is directing us through his covenant. We are a covenant people, and he mediates his mercy and goodness and judgment through that covenant. And at times in their history, they would go astray, and they would follow after the gods of the nations around them. And it was a prophet that would step in at times like these, and he would proclaim to God's people that we need to get back. Our heart needs to get back where it needs to be because we are not in the right place. Praise God. And what is significant about this particular case, it's not a prophet 
that is speaking to God's people. It's a prophet that's speaking to the Assyrians, and that is the irony. And Jonah is given a commission. No matter where God tells you to go, you should go. No matter what God tells you to proclaim, you should proclaim. Jonah was comfortable speaking to the, the Israel people and the Hebrews, but he wasn't comfortable speaking to the Assyrian people, and specifically this place called Nineveh. I just want to say here at the outset, God help us to be commissioned to go to anybody and everybody and tell them that there is a goodness of God that can reach no matter where you are, God can reach for you. I don't want to get so comfortable in this building that I forget there are people on the outside of this building. I want to testify of God's goodness. I want to testify of God's greatness. He was commissioned to do the will of God, this will of God that sometimes people think is elusive and sometimes it's mysterious, this thing called the will of God that people look so hard to find. And yet much of the will of God that we find in Scripture is an action. And here the will of God was an action for Jonah to go to Nineveh and proclaim. The will of God is something that we involve ourselves in and it is action. It is not a mysterious thing. It's not an elusive thing. There's a lot about the will of God that's just about doing what you know to do is right. You know why I'm here in the house of God today? Because it's the will of God. I know this is right. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves. It's the will of God. So I'm in the house of God because I know it is what I need to do because it is what is right. Some people will try to find this mysterious thing out here, grappling for it. Can I tell you, church, all you got to do is put your hand to the plow and say, God, I want to be involved in King things. I want to be involved in the will of God. There's much to be said about that. First Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 18 says, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I want to know what the will of God is. Give thanks in everything. It's the will of God. Verse 27 of Romans chapter number 8, he that searcheth the hearts knoweth what is the mind of the spirit because he maketh intercession maketh intercession for the saints according to the will of God. According to the will of God, the Spirit intercedes on our behalf. Galatians chapter 1 and verse 4, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. It was the will of God that Jesus went to Calvary and died for our sins that he could deliver us from this present evil world. That's the will of God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse number 3, for this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but he has called us unto holiness. So the will of God is calling us into holiness. That is our sanctification. He sets us apart, and there are some things that we abstain from because this is the will of God. First Peter chapter 3, verse 17, For it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. 
For Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. It's the will of God that we would suffer for doing something that is right than to suffer for doing something that is not right. It would be the will of God to do the right thing. Sometimes you just do the right thing because that is the will of God. It may cost, but it's still better than doing the wrong thing because then that wouldn't be the will of God. So the will of God is laid out before Jonah. And he chooses to run. <laughs> he chooses to run. The will of God is that not any should perish, but that all should come to God. The will of God is be holy as I am holy. Come out from among them and be separate. The will of God is believe and be baptized. The will of God is go, go, go. The will of God is do, do. It's activated. It's movement. Thank God for the people of God that plug in and say, you know what, I want to be involved. I'm willing to go in every ministry and every facet because I recognize revival is very, very important. We better keep our eye on revival. We, we can't afford not to have great and powerful church. We, not, we better not be intimidated by the world that would try to come, come in and muzzle us. We need our kids receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost like has happened recently. We need to baptize them in Jesus' name like has happened recently. Anybody want to take on some responsibility? I want to see a move of the anointing. I want to do the will of God so that God's anointing moves. Hallelujah. Let's clap our hands and thank the Lord. That should be a unified endeavor. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. God is a sovereign God. He's greater than everything. His sovereignty is, is at display here. And his sovereignty is a global initiative, a work that has divine purpose. An answer to one of the great questions that goes all the way back to ancient times, which is, why am I here? This is a great question. Why am I here? Why, why do I exist? Some people pursue things, and then at some point in their life, they turn around and recognize, wait a minute, this life is, is, is this is not it. This is where the scripture is so very, very true. There is pleasure in sin for a season. But when you run that string out, at some point you're left with stuff that you turn around and you say, wait a minute, this is, this is not it. This is not it. Dysfunction and pleasure and sin and lust and all of those things, this is not meaningful. My life is not meaningful. Anybody have a testimony of being in that position? You tried everything. You went everywhere. You were involved in all kinds of stuff. But at some point in your life, you recognize all that I've received is addiction and bondage, and I don't want to be here anymore. I don't like this place where I am. And thank God, God reached out to you. Praise God. He's sovereign over all things. And Jonas, is not, he's not confused about this point. God is sovereign. He has a global initiative that reaches around the world. And it is also involved in the very nature. Because when he confesses in Jonah chapter 1 and verse number 9, when he flees and he flees, he, he goes down to Tarshish and he gets on a boat and he's trying to, he's not going to the southeast, he's going southwest. He is leaving. He is fleeing the will of God. He doesn't want anything to do with the will of God. He doesn't like Nineveh. He doesn't like the people of Nineveh. He, does, he doesn't like the commandment. He doesn't like the commission. And so he's fleeing. And they get on this boat, 
And all of a sudden, God prepares a great wind because God is sovereign over all things. And so God is preparing. And God works through nature throughout the book of Jonah. And, and this is what's interesting because he's working with nature, and nature is more responsive to God than, than the prophet that he's trying to send. And so he sends a great wind. All of a sudden, there's a, a huge storm that takes place. And Jonah, Jonah knows that God is sovereign because in Jonah chapter 1, verse number 9, he tells the people on the ship, I am in Hebrew, I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. That's an admission. That's almost like a creedal statement. A creedal statement is something that you say that has high prominence, has high theology in it. It's a creedal kind of statement. And here is Jonah making that kind of statement. I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which hath made the sea and the dry land. And in this confession, he condemns himself because he knows this about God and he still chooses to disobey. He, he bypasses the rich history. He says, I'm a Hebrew. What does it mean when you say, I am a Hebrew? It means you know the history of the Hebrews. You know that God called to a man by the name of Abraham, and he called him out to be the father of the faithful, and you know that that people grew through Abraham's offspring, became a large people in Egypt under Joseph's tenure there, but when he died, they became enslaved. They were working. It was difficult until God called them out of Egyptian bondage and brought them into a promised land, went through all the plagues, brought them into a land in which they didn't plant the crops, the vineyards, and everything thing was already there commissioned for them. He fed them. He gave them water out of a rock. Their clothes did not wear out. He produced everything that they needed. When you say, I am a Hebrew, you're saying, I recognize all the things that God has blessed us. Recognize the history that God has been good to us. That he's a sovereign God. That he created all things. You are admitting that you know exactly God's goodness and his mercy and his greatness. And Jonah's running. <laughs> Jonah's running. But he admits all of that. And so God starts showing him that he is sovereign over sea and land. Sends a storm where the poor people on the boat, they don't recognize. They're praying for their life. They start throwing stuff overboard. They're, they're trying to lighten the load, lighten the ship. They're throwing stuff overboard. Until they look around when everything is thrown overboard except one by the name of Jonah who happens to be sleeping as he's running from God. And they wake him up, and he gives them this statement, and he said, I'm the problem. And so they throw everything that is an obstacle overboard, including Jonah. And then there is peace. The ship is on the verge of busting apart. The seamen are afraid, calling to their gods, and so they throw everything overboard. I mean, let me just say something. That's a good lesson. There, there may be times, if you look at it from the perspective of the seamen, there may be times there are things with which you have to throw some things overboard to lighten the load. Amen. Listen, I'm not coming to God carrying and dragging my burdens into the house of God every time I come in here. You know why? Because he said, I'll take your burdens. My yoke is easy and the weight is light. You know what's so good about the house of God is you can lay every burden down at an altar and say, God, I can't carry this. But I know that you're big enough to carry it. And so I'm going to leave it with you right here. Amen. Some things need to be thrown overboard. So prepares a wind, 
God does, now he prepares a great fish. He repairs a great fish to swallow Jonah, and then later he speaks to it to vomit up its hapless passenger. Jonah, when he's in the belly of the fish, starts praying. And he prays a prayer that is very, very powerful. He talks about feeling like weeds are around his head. He's at the bottom of the mountains. He feels in prison. And then he says, I will look again back to the house of God. I will be thankful. <laughs> I will be thankful. This is where we get to the passage of Scripture in Jonah chapter 3. The fish vomits out jo Jonah. And so... No doubt there was a transformation. There, there's a lot of theological discussion here. This is a small, very book. Here's a prophet that's running away from the will of God. He doesn't want to be there. Gets on a boat. He's thrown overboard. There's a great fish that is prepared for him. Says that he spends three days, three nights, and then he is spit up. He comes up off the shore. And so this is a lot of speculation. There's nothing that actually says anything about it in the book of Jonah. But how is it that a man, his message is very, very short that he preaches. When he makes his way into Nineveh, his message is this. This is one of the shortest messages you would ever hear. I mean, can you imagine? Here it is. Yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. I mean, can you imagine Preacher steps up, and that's all he says, and people just like flood the altars. And that's all he said. That short of a message. Now, he may have said some other stuff, but that's not what Jonah tells us that was said. Just that small line. And there is a response. The king issues a decree, throws off his clothes, puts on sackcloth and ashes, which is like burlap stuff. You put that on your skin. It itches. It's terrible. Then you put ashes on your face. It's a sign of mourning. And then he issues this decree, and he says, people, cows, goats, dogs, cats, all the animals, let them cry mightily in repentance, and let the cows and the sheep fast along with everybody else, because the man of God has come here, and he's come from a place in Jerusalem and Israel, and he's preaching a very short message, but we got to get ourselves right, and so we're going to enter into a period of repentance, and there is revival that takes place that affects even the cows and the sheep and all the animals. You talk about a revival that drives everybody to their knees. Because they recognize. I don't know, so there's the speculation. What is it that led them to that kind of a response. Some people say, well, if you're in the belly of a whale uh, three days, three nights, and you come up, you're probably going, your skin is going to be affected by the acidic nature, and so bleach your skin. And so here comes, and, and then that was also connected to a lot of the Assyrians' gods. They had gods that were both fish and man, and so it was wrapped up in idolatry. And so some speculate, there's nothing that says this, and Jonah, I'm, I'm just throwing this out there for the sake of curiosity. I don't know. I don't know what caused such a great and awesome response. And so they speculate. Maybe he's coming. He's all whitewashed. And they're seeing this. And it's all connected to their gods. 
And so then they're, so they're open and they're going to listen. And so they listen when Jonah preaches to them. And so then there is this great response. I, but I do know this, they had a great revival. I don't know that I've been in any revival. This is just pure uh, honesty and being, being, being completely honest with you. I don't know that I've been in any, envi any environment and any revival that there has been the case where everybody falls on their face in repentance. I've seen great moves of God, great revivals, where a lot of people get on board and say, we want this. But usually when revival hits, the enemy hits just as strong and just as powerful. And there's some people that resist and they will not be budged and there's a decision that has to be made either you're going to live for God or you're not I've seen it I've seen it we've had great revivals in this church but I've never been a part of a revival where everybody is on their face in revival and repentance think about that but here's a bunch of heathen people in a city called Nineveh a bunch of Assyrians they have flat out revival that even the cows and the sheep I mean, it trickles down into their actions to where they're saying to the sheep and the cows, you're not eating and you're not drinking, which means they had to take action to make sure that could not happen because the king issued a decree that we are too fast. Wow, amazing. You would think the man of God would be so excited about this revival. I mean, stop and think about it. I've heard people say, oh, we had a 100-soul revival. That is awesome. I celebrate with that. That's amazing. I've heard people say we were in a foreign country and thousands received the Holy Ghost. That's amazing. Nobody had a revival like Jonah had in Nineveh where everybody in that city, and it was a large city, repented and even made the sheep and the cows fast. Nobody has revival like that. You think that Jonah would say this is an amazing thing? No, Jonah's not happy at all. He's upset. Praise God. You say... <laughs> How in the world can that be? How could someone in the middle of revival be upset with revival? I mean, that would be like a preacher getting up and preaching revival and then somebody responding and then him being not happy with it. I heard a story like that. I think I've told it multiple times. Saw some guy here in what was once Logan's Roadhouse, and there was an evangelist with us, and these people walked in, and... And the evangelist looked across the way, and he said, I know that guy. He said, that guy, I know that guy. He's from Texas. I preached for him. I said, really? Yeah, I said, I don't, I don't know who he is. He said, he's, he's got, he's got a, a, a pretty good church. He said, I preached there for a number of, of weeks. He said, <clears throat> until toward the end of the revival, he said, I just felt like it was time for me to move on because we weren't clicking. I said, well, what happened? He said, I preached a message one Sunday morning. And he said, it was so powerful. And people, it was extended altar, and people were praying. And so this, I prayed with people at last that I went into the pastor's office after a while, and the altar service was just still moving. You know, sometimes there is no conclusion. It just, people are praying, and that was that kind of service. And so he said, when I got into the office, uh, the pastor was in the office. He had his head down on the desk, and he was crying. And so I, I asked him, I said, what's the matter? There's, we're having great service out there. And he said, they don't mean it. They don't. They don't, they don't mean it. 
Listen, if God's doing great things and revival is happening, I want to be the first one on the revival train. Praise God. I want to be involved in what God is doing. I'm not going to work against it, but God help me plug in somehow so that I can see a move of your spirit and your anointing because the greatest thing that can happen to the city of Bakersfield is for a move of God to hit this place, for revival to take place, for the Holy Ghost to be poured out. Jonah gets mad. He's mad. He is mad. He is angry. And he goes off and he creates this booth. Jonah calls it, the book of Jonah calls it a booth. I looked that up. It's just some kind of shelter. He creates some kind of shelter he, with whatever materials he, get, he has. And he creates it so that he can sit down and he can watch the city to see what's going to happen. He doesn't believe he doesn't believe what is happening. He's upset with what is happening. And he's not convinced that God is really going to forgive them. So he wants to sit in a booth and he wants to watch and cast his own judgment on the city of Nineveh to see what happens. That's, that's what the scripture says. So he's sitting there in this booth. And God creates a gourd. What is a gourd? That's what it's called here, a gourd. It's a plant. And... The type of plants that may make up a gourd, it's very leafy. So this gourd props up and gives shade for the little lean-to that Jonah has made, and it provides shade from the sun. So Jonah's sitting here. He's angry at God. God created this wind. He created this great fish. Now he has created this plant. Why? Because God is sovereign. God knows how to bring fertility of things from the ground and so he prepares it. He gives Jonah shade. He provides Jonah that comfort. And, and this is indicative of God's ability to produce growth in our life. Thank God that he does. For the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Fertility is a gift of God. He can produce in you fruit that is pleasing. And so he produces a plant that provides something for Jonah, gives him shade, and Jonah is still angry. He's still mad. His anger is still coming up before the Lord. And so the Lord prepares a worm. The worm starts eating the plant, and the plant, the sun comes up, starts beating on the plant. It's hot. The plant dies because the worm started eating the plant, and now Jonah is in the wind, and he's in the sun, and the sun is beating down, and so then God provides a strong wind. So now it's hot, and he doesn't have any shade, and the things that he thought were there for his comfort are gone, and now there's a strong wind, and all of this is taking place. And God asks him, Jonah, is it good to get angry with the plant? Even to the death, Jonah asked God to take his life. And he responds, yes, even to the death. It's amazing that he prays the prayer in the fish that he's going to remember and give thanks to God and all these things, but he forgets after the great revival. He goes and plants himself somewhere and says, I would rather die. And God responds, Jonah, you, you would have more pity for the plant than you do the people in Nineveh. So there's a lot of things that are obeying God in Jonah. Things that are in nature. God's preparing all this stuff and it's all responding. But there's one that's not responding in his name 
is Jonah. The wind obeys, the sailors that don't even know God obey, the fish obeys, the king of Nineveh obeys, the people of Nineveh obey, the plant obeys, the worm obeys. The musicians come here this morning, but there's only one guy that doesn't obey. And the guy that doesn't obey is Jonah. This is the irony in the story. The guy that has direct communication with God is the one that is angry and irrational. This has caused some to speculate this is not about Nineveh as much as it is about the Israelites themselves. Because Jesus, even in his own ministry, said, and one day the Ninevites will stand in judgment of you, and he was talking to the Pharisees. The Israelites, the people that sometimes could get so far away from God and forget the blessings of God and the goodness of God to the point where their own prophet couldn't speak to them, and yet he can go to the Syrians, and the Assyrians have great revival. This is the prayer he prayed. I want to read part of it to you. Jonah chapter 2 and verse number 7. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer came in unto thee and into thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy. But I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. Jonah, in the belly of the fish, prays this prayer. He's talking about being thankful and grateful to the blessings of God. And yet, just a few moments later, he's wishing that his life was over and he's forgot about all the blessings and the salvation of God. And he's transfixed on being angry because God is doing things that's in the will of God that he's not happy with. Even when the cows and the sheep are fasting, Jonah is upset. And I've just come today to tell you, we need to be very, very careful that we don't forget the blessings and favor and goodness of God. Praise God. If you're in this building here today, you've got a lot to be thankful for because of his mercy and his goodness to each and every one of us. Praise God. As we stand together in the house of God today. Jonah's an amazing book because there at the beginning there's judgment and God has divine judgment and ret retribution. There has to be a standard. There has to be a watermark. You can't strip away the judgment of God. Otherwise, you would have it be flaky. It's, it's just like, I mean, the best illustration is a parent that provides no discipline, has a monster on their hands. And so God's got a judgment. He's got a, a standard. His word is to us for a standard. It directs us. It guides us. Sometimes we don't like it. Sometimes it doesn't feel good. Sometimes people press up against it and they want to change it. But if you start doing that, you might as well just throw the Bible out. The word of God is supposed to speak to us. We don't speak to the word of God. That's what proper exegesis is. Is recognizing that the word is speaking to me. I'm not reading into it. When I read into it, that's eisegesis. I'm reading into the scripture. The word of God is to speak to me. It's to shape me, mold me, pattern me, shape me. And so the word of God sometimes speaks to me. And I got to make sure that I'm in line with it. It's not me speaking to it. And so his judgment is there. And it's issued. 
Don't go to Nineveh, preach. It's an ungodly city. They're wicked. I want you to preach a message of repentance. And yet at the same time, he's also reaching through every means possible. He's reaching to the king of Nineveh. He's reaching to the people of Nineveh. And beyond that, it goes everywhere. And there is a move of his spirit. And so what you see in this book is the judgment of God and the mercy of God. Thank God for his mercy because I shouldn't be here because his judgment should have come down on me because I was a sinner. But because of his mercy, judgment said you're not right. Mercy said come on, let grace be applied to your life. There is something called Calvary and the blood of Calvary that can wash and cleanse and renew you. And you have place today in the house of God because of the work of God. So mercy reaches for us. Mercy reaches for us. This book is such a great book on the words of a man who's a prophet that thanks God for the blessings of God but so soon forgets it. I don't know what your problems are. I don't know what's what's got you transfixed here today. But let me just say this. Why don't you leave all that stuff aside for just a moment and lift up your hands and say, God, I thank you for your blessing today. I thank you for your mercy. You carried me a mighty, mighty long way. Amen. There's a lot of things that have come in my life that could have destroyed me. Remove me from your goodness and your grace. But because of a move of your anointing and your spirit, you have kept me. You have kept my feet from falling. So today, in the house of God, hallelujah, I lift up my hands and my voice. Praise God, and I'm thanking you. I'm thanking you for your favor and your goodness. I thank you that you have washed. Every area of my life you brought healing when I needed strength. You brought encouragement to me. When I was at a loss and my back was against the wall, praise God, your name became a strong power. And so today, for a few moments in the house of God, hallelujah, I'm lifting my hands and I'm lifting my voice and I'm declaring your power and your goodness hallelujah your mercy that comes running to me 